and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today is the 300th episode of The Rewind, so very fitting that I am joined by a man who just hopped off his Vespa to join us. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Oh, it's going beautifully. Happy 300th. Uh, I, I wish that we had a more auspicious film to discuss. Well, I mean, I don't I don't particularly love either of the two films we're talking about today, but I also think that's kind of fitting because, you know, like it, it just shows our, our our dedication here at The Rewind to being very thorough with like covering whatever is going on in film. Because today we're talking about both The Pope's Exorcist and Renfield, uh, a couple of movies that, you know, I think had some pretty crazy marketing that made us excited to see them, but maybe weren't as like exciting in their execution. We're going to start with The Pope's Exorcist, which is the uh, newest film from uh, director Julius Avery, who... He did Overlord in 2017 or eight, 2018, excuse me, and a movie that I really liked. And The Pope's Exorcist is like, I mean, I don't know, it, 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 it kind of is crazy in that it's a movie called The Pope's Exorcist, and it's kind of based on a true story or at least or a real person. It's uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, played by Russell Crowe, who for a very, very long time actually served as like the exorcist to the Pope. And I, I got to say real quick that the movie begins like by saying like the guy had served from like the 1986 to like 2016. Mm-hmm. And it opens with Russell Crowe looking like Russell Crowe today in 1987. I'm like, that man did not live to see 2016. There's no world where Russell well, Crowe I mean, the today. Guy died when he, the guy died at night, age 91, though. Holy shit. All right. Well, I take it back. Yeah. They got so, they got me there. I yeah. didn't understand your game. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you, if you just Google, if you just go to the Wikipedia page right now and uh, and, and click on the Father of Morth guy, like if you go to the page for the movie, which I know you usually have up, click on Father of Morth and then just look at the picture of him in 2013, you'll get that like, you know, Russell Crowe might be better looking than that guy 30 years from today. So uh, it's- <laughs> you know, you say that, I think he looks pretty okay for somebody who's pushing 90 in that photo yeah and he has 88 in that photo it looks okay i'm just saying like you know it, that didn't really stretch credulity when i like i realized how old the guy was when he died i just thought it was kind of crazier when i like found out about something called the pope's exorcist i just assumed it was going to be like some pope from like the 18th century or something like that yeah, no yeah. it's like it's like a much more uh, a much more recent pope uh you know and i i, I guess largely like might have been uh, might might have been uh, Pope Pope John Paul. They don't call him that in this. It's just, but he's played by the, the Pope is played by Franco Nero. Uh, yeah, you see him performing some sort of exorcist of, as, as some sort in the beginning. That's kind of unrelated to the main plot of this movie, but it's setting the scene in a in a movie in, in a scene that I actually think is like very effective in the way the rest of the movie maybe isn't. Uh, and then it and then and then it kind of jumps forward. Uh, we see this like this this family or this mom and her two kids, a teenage girl and a and a younger boy who are. Uh, just in in Spain, and for some reason, like like in the last year, the, the the father of the family died, and just ended up like bequeathing them some other kind of abbey and you know church type thing because that's just you a know thing how that, that goes. Like, yeah, you know that, that goes. Own. You just have like a Spanish monk's palace in yeah, your family that, that American family just holds on to, you know, just as one does I mean, for a rainy you know, day. Yeah. Or just, or, or in case you happen to have a story that, you know, you want to sell to American audiences, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for whatever reason that they're, they're going there and they've, uh, you know, overcome a trauma. They have some financial difficulties. They're going to fix this place up and sell it so they can go back to life in America. But the son, uh, Henry just, you know, hasn't talked since the dad died. So, you know, uh, let's just say he might be in a state of mind that is more susceptible to being possessed by some dark forces. Uh, and, As we all know. Yeah. And uh, and they get there and um, some possession occurs. 
and uh, they, they got to call in Father Amorth to investigate things because word gets back to uh, the Vatican. Like, hey, there's some shit going down. And uh, Father Amorth's been under some under under fire recently from other uh, other sects of, you know, the church. But like the Pope still still he's still the Pope's guy. And the Pope's like, hey, I need to go do some important shit. Uh, go to Spain. Look into this for me. And he's like, all right, I'm on the case. I'm on my Vespa. I'm on the road. Daniel, I, I sh- this, this movie didn't have like the longest, like, you know, um, headway uh, promotional campaign. I, I feel like I first found out about it like six weeks ago and not long after, you know, it starts, first started getting publicized. You said, I am on that podcast. We are doing a podcast on it. I don't care how trash it looks. We are doing a podcast on it. I'm like, all right, sure, fine. I, you, I, I mean, I, 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 was, I was in the second I found that this was like actually set in the 21st century and it was called the Pope's Exorcist. It was a true story. I'm like, that just seems too bizarre. I'll, I'll do it. Sure. Uh, but like for the amount of fervor and excitement you exhibited at like the beginning of it, I actually don't know if you like the movie that much or not because you just saw it today. I haven't really had time to hear you talk about it. But like for for me, like I mean, and I'll say this: like I, I had a nice enough time with it, and it was good. But I'm like, I think maybe it was this, it, it was lacking a little something. And I will also say this though, and I'm very glad I didn't. I think I promised you I was going to watch The Exorcist, which is like a blind spot for me. I didn't, and I'm afraid if I had, like I would have like really not liked The Pope's Exorcist because like I know The Exorcist is like a you know like a very 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 like well thought of movie uh and like so i'm glad i ne- probably didn't have this to that to compare this to but like i'm wondering because i'm just i'm going to go out on a limb and think you probably didn't get as much out of it as you were hoping for when you first found out this was going to be a thing and i'm wondering like was there something was there something missing maybe that prevented this from being like a five-star movie for you because like it wasn't that for me um well yeah it was missing something uh i Truthfully, did not go in with like sky high expectations. Oh, so you're just happy uh, to you were just you were just excited to dissect it. You didn't necessarily think you were going to love it. I just was excited to see uh, my man Russell. I didn't know uh, he was I'm your big, guy. Oh, I'm a big Russ head. Mm. I'm a big Russ head. I loved Unhinged, which was one of the best mm. movies of the pandemic year. Yeah, you, um, that was like the first thing you saw in theaters at a point where people, very many people, weren't going back to theaters yet. That was a birthday watch for me. That was my <laughs> pandemic birthday watch. Uh, but yeah, no, like uh, nice guys. Like I, I'm a big fan of Russell mm. Crowe, and uh, you know I like exorcism movies. I like stuff about like horror films that deal with Catholicism and shit. Like the ritual of it, I think is just aesthetic. I like the aesthetic of it. Now mm-hmm. that being said. I have never seen uh, Exorcist. I genuinely haven't. I've only seen oh, okay. I've only seen Exorcist three. Uh, I'm pretty sure in high is, school, for some reason, even though I never saw horror films in high school, pretty sure I saw The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I don't know why. See, I want to see that one. I do want to mm. see that one because it has an interesting take on the exorcism, like Phil. Now, the thing is, as far as I know, all exorcism movies are in one way, shape, or form aping The Exorcist. That's all they are. They're all just how do we do the exorcist, but a little different. Um, I can't speak to how far the Pope's exorcist goes. I'm going to assume not very. Uh, This is just exactly what you would expect from a movie about an exorcist. Like, you know, there's a kid who's who stays in bed the entire time. He's got some makeup effects on him, like but barely. Uh, He shouts out a lot of curse words. And, you know, nothing well, so, really happens. Well, <laughs> nothing so, really. Let me ask you about that. As someone that, again, is I, I didn't realize you weren't that familiar with Exorcist movies, like, uh, or you're probably a little more so than me, but I just kind of assumed you'd seen the original because, like, that's, again, a very classic movie that I've just, that I feel like I'm alone and haven't, I thought I was uh, alone no, and haven't I, I, seen. I thought that I, I'm waiting for to see that in theaters at some uh, point. That, that, I, 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 that's a good idea. I, I'm sure it'll play at some point. I should maybe hold off for that too. I mean, it, it got nominated for Best Picture, which I think is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. But, like, I, but, like, do you, is it your understanding that in like these kind of movies that like you're not actually supposed to be that afraid for your characters? 
because like it felt like the, <laughs> it, it, it felt like the movie was like pretty much set some ground rules that it followed where it was like this kid's not getting out of his fucking bed for like most of the runtime and i'm like am i supposed to be that scared because i was just like i was kind of getting a kick out of like watching this like kid be possessed and say vile shit but at the same time i'm like am i supposed to think he's about to jump out of this bed and kill someone like i just didn't really know mechanically how that was supposed to work exactly now this is the issue with the i don't know if this is true of the first film but i feel like a lot of movies about exorcism like i think that it's just a popular topic for like you know low budget horror filmmakers because it doesn't ask too much of you technically and I think that it requires some sort of vision to give it that sort of energy that actually makes things feel dangerous and profane and vile and unholy. I, I think a good example of a movie that does do this, even though you, you might not con- consider it a, uh, an exorcism film, but like at least a demonic film would be uh, that the Evil Dead series or actually uh, Demons, the Italian film by uh, Bava's son. Okay, so just so, to give you a little background, so you know um, my level of knowledge of the references you may or, not, may or may not be about to drop. I did watch Evil Dead 2 this morning because we're going to be doing a podcast and Evil Dead Rises soon. You assigned me some homework that I was like a little like reluctant to do because I'm at a very busy point in my life, but I, I watched each of the first two each of the last two days while I was on the bike at the gym. And, uh, <laughs> and Evil Dead 2 fucking ruled. I, I'm kind of mixed. I'm, I'm mixed on the first one, but like I, I kind of get what you're saying where it's like, okay, Okay, this possession shit should be like a little more scary and propulsive, maybe. Right. And if if not, you know, I, I understand not being propulsive. I understand not being like a Raimi film, but mm. holy shit. Like I I found myself just slinking into my chair as the film wore on as I realized that nothing was gonna happen until the end. Uh admittedly, this is true of like a lot of low-budget horror films, but yeah, there's just no if you're not gonna create like a sense of danger, you need to at least create some sort of atmosphere. And the fact is that this film is just very ho-hum. It's very okay, humdrum. Would you agree with me, though, that like I thought the opening scene kind of did that? You know, I actually I'm actually with you on that. I think the uh, the opening scene where he goes into the uh, uh, like this village and deals with this young man who seemingly is possessed. And he's just he, he walks in like a like a like a 40s detective. And he's like, I don't believe you. And he just sort of kind of like like uh, negs the guy <laughs> until, you know, he kind of falsifies like an exorcism by forcing the quote unquote demon into a pig and shooting the pig. You know, it's made clear to the audience that like, this is theatrics and yet it's real to these people. And like navigating that divide, I thought was actually the movie actually did that scene very well. Although, and then immediately the next scene I think is like him at the Vatican and you have some exposition with some side character that never does anything consequential in the film. Like the, black and then he, the black guy. Yeah. Like he, he, a character that does not need to be in the film as most of the characters uh, is true. Most of the characters. And then he goes to this board meeting where like, they're like kind of like grilling him over something that happened previously. And, and then you get like this family going to the, and you get like 20 minutes with this family before they get possessed. The writing have been any more stereotypical for that girl too. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, they, they're like, bothered teenager. Oh, God, mom. God, you want me to take care of our brother who watched our father? Die? Oh, my God. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck. I, I, and the thing is, you don't need any of that. I think the movie works best when it's operating as like a kind of pseudo noir film, like a neo noir film that happens to be about 
the Pope's lead exorcist. Like when uh, Russell Crowe goes to meet Franco Nero, who I'm not going to lie, I did not realize was Franco Nero. Uh, I'm very bad at recognizing that man, but I'm always like, oh, yeah, that guy is really good. And then I find out later it's Franco. And uh, yeah, no, he goes to meet the Pope and the Pope's like, I have a case for you, (laughs) like (laughs) as if he's the chief, like assigning his lead detective. And I think those sorts of moments and where he's like clearly being like the non-traditional priest, he drinks on the job and, you know, he has a certain flair to how he walks into a room with a supposed demon. I think all that stuff works pretty well, but the film goes into the rhythm, the very familiar beats of like a Screen Gems horror movie. And I, I think it blunts the sort of personality that could be there. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, your boy Russell, I think, does damn near save the movie, though. Like, I think he like I think he shows up to play in the right way and has yeah. a fun personality. And it's just like, like that opening scene is like it's it's funny and it's intense and it's uh, he's commanding. It, yeah. All, all at once. And it's just it's um funny intense and like uh kind of scary and like it it just does a lot of things at once where it's like i think the the uh shoot i I feel like there was a third adjective i was missing there and i was about to jump in with it but i like i I let you keep talking but like it did three things and i'm gonna remember the third in a minute (laughs) but like but like i I felt like that scene had like one ingredient that the others didn't and i i almost would have preferred and maybe it's what i I don't know if it was i don't think i was assuming that was going to be when it came in i probably kind of figured out that this was a little more of an anecdote to set the scene and then we were going to get something a little more uh in depth going forward but it's like man i almost would have preferred just like you know a whole series of different kind of scenes like that and maybe that's not a movie that's maybe i'm describing a tv show but like i think that, that that what it has done more for me because like a lot of the scenes uh of the rest of the movie up until the end, like you said, uh, we're just kind of lacking something like yeah, lacking that plotting. sense of danger. Yeah. They're very plotting. I also think that like, you know, it's a structural thing. Like I, I think if the movie opened with like maybe that board meeting and it cut back to like the opening scene, maybe, or, you know, or, or cut between the two of those scenes, uh, maybe like just to keep things moving along. And then, like he said, I got a case for you. And then it's like you get just the family. They don't matter. Like the family has no like, you know, the, the daughter, she does. She's so over it. The mom is like harried. Like she doesn't seem to even really care that her husband died a year ago. Well, for the, um, for the, for the amount of time you spend with them. One, you don't really actually feel like you know them that well, and because of that too, even if they like, even if they were in danger, you wouldn't care. But you never actually feel like they're in danger. It's like they're just like chilling, and the, they're just chilling in the abbey still with the with their kid, with their with their son slash brother, just possessed next door. But you never actually think anything bad's going to happen to them. It's very yeah. weird. It's so annoying. Like if you you get handed a premise like this, and you're trying, I think what you ought to do, as if you're a, you know a filmmaker with any sort of kind of vision, is to like you know try to go a little hog wild, go a little crazy with what you could do. Maybe practical effects. Maybe you see like a demon or something. But the scares in this film are all just so. It's just people being flung telekinetically across a room on wires, or being pulled into a bed. Or the pull into a bed thing was so annoying because there's a world where like that is scary. Like what is scary about having like being alone in a house and then an arm comes across you? Like that's a violation. What, in what, some was, the, way, what was the right? What, what was isn't there is the De Palma movie that's kind of um, shit? What am I forgetting? That like feels kind of like that um, that I watched in the last year. Um, or my or, or, or Polanski. Who am I thinking of? Um, 
God damn. Are you thinking of repulsion, maybe? Yeah, repulsion. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like it's, it's like I've seen the, the it's like it, it, yeah. it felt very and familiar, you know. Yeah, it, it's a very familiar image. Um, but like you know that feeling, like I, I think that if you're a filmmaker, with it, even if it were that scene, but like maybe you got like a grotesque sort of like practical effects demon monster to be in the bed or something like that. I don't know something that makes the threat tangible and like I said, profane. Uh, the only profane part of this film is the little kid just shouting obscenities which even that pales in comparison to like i mean i haven't seen the exorcist but you know my mother sucks your mother sucks cocks in hell right uh sounds like something i've heard okay uh hopefully not on the playground uh <laughs> no 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 this would be like a quote from uh who's the girl in the exorcist she linda blair mm-hmm. like she's like you know saying like your mother sucks cocks in hell and like all this shit to the uh to the priests attending to her and it just doesn't it never matches that sort of intensity partially i think because again that movie is from 19 fucking 73 and we're 50 years on and a kid just saying upsetting things to an old man just isn't as shocking today um what's another issue another issue that this movie has i think is the lack of characterization of like the characters like even russell crowe like i don't know the idea is that this demon right by the way, how familiar are you with Catholicism? Not much. Yeah, you're probably just, just, you're probably just as familiar with Judaism as I am with Catholicism. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I I don't spend that much time on my own religion, let alone especially so with others. <laughs> you know, it's like you know. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not a part of any religion, so mm-hmm. like none of this stuff I really know too much about. But I always like the idea of like the Catholic Church. Well, hold on, let me finish. I like the idea of dramatic, like uh, as a sort of aesthetic, Background, like as like yeah. yeah. There's like this organization that genuinely believes in all this evil stuff. And like it goes back centuries and like they have these resources. They're their own fucking country, you know? I think there's it's ripe for a lot of potential. And the idea of like this evil force uh, that cannot be truly defeated, like that is able to look within us and, you know, see like the the evil within us and bring that out and force us to reckon with it like i think that there's something powerful there but this film like all right so russell crowe like the idea is that his character is like racked with guilt and sin for this thing in his past right it turns out that thing was that he was on the good side of the war and uh he was like he was very conveniently like you know uh fighting for italy but within the rebellion yeah within the rebellion and which i think actually the real guy was might have been also like to be fair but like and then (laughs) good for him and uh and that he uh let a girl die kind of because he was just like and, and that's the that's supposedly like the big dramatic reveal is that uh, he had let this girl die. And at first we're meant to believe that like he let her die because he didn't believe she was possessed. Turns out she wasn't actually possessed. And it just, he was like, well, that's not my job. And, and then she killed herself. And that's like the thing. And I don't know, like if we're supposed to believe that what threatens the threat to these people's soul is within themselves and the devil only brings it out. That just doesn't seem like a lot. The priest that is assisting him is like this young guy who at first is like accused by the demon of like just having sex with the town's women. And I'm like, oh, well, that's that's an interesting dark part. Like we're like he's this man of the cloth, but he falls prey to his lavaciousness. And the next still feels compelled to like not give up the priesthood. Yeah. Like there's an interesting conflict there. Turns out next scene. Oh, there was one woman 
who he was genuinely in love with. And they had sex like once. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So so it's not like they're even that complex people. Like, it's not like they've even they're even like weighed down by sin, quote unquote, in their souls so much. It I mean, just... I mean, I guess it's not it's not disinteresting, though, to like I'm actually kind of like falling in love and still be drawn to the priesthood. You know, I mean, I get I get what you're saying. Like, maybe if he was that sinful that he's just like, you know, the town whore, that's something different. But like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I kind of found that interesting in a in a vacuum but like I, I don't know if it really like saw that stuff through in the way it could have and because i thought it got kind of too bogged down in the lore that it seemed very interested in but like i didn't find that interesting well i think that they didn't get bogged down enough in the lore interesting. i think okay. that i think that because I, again like i think that the idea of like well i guess what i'm getting at is i really like the devil conspiracy i think that's what i'm really getting at um, I, I just that was a movie that took all this stuff, all this Catholic imagery and like, you know, stuff about demons and made something interesting, which was a, a 2000 superhero movie. Um, this just oh, and I'm sorry, we need to talk about that ending where they absolve the Catholic Church of the Inquisition. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, remind See, remind me exactly how, okay, how, okay, how yeah. they did that. See, it's funny because they don't really belabor the point too much. But I was like, wait, really? That's what <laughs> that's what this is all about. Um, so it turns out that the Abbey was actually like kind of a prison for this demon, right? The entire mm-hmm. thing. And uh, it turns out that the demon had previously infected because apparently that's what demons like to do. They like to infect people that of high stature and it had previously infected affected this monk who was the pope's chief advisor that convinced like the um either the queen or the pope or whoever i don't know my history to start the spanish inquisition so the idea is that the devil actually started the inquisition Uh, not the catholics not the catholic church that wasn't human error no that was demonic influence (laughs) so all that stuff that happened after you gotta understand that was the devil's work and like the idea is that the Catholic Church covered that up, <laughs> like, like, and instead will bear the brunt because you know that's the Catholics. It's like they're you know, nailing they, they, themselves they, they, to the they, cross. You know, they almost never cover stuff up. You know. So. Yeah, exactly. Actually, funnily enough, there is like a stray line where like Russell Crowe admits that like he ignored the woman's talk of like sexual abuse by the church, and I'm like, that is what now that should be the takeaway from this movie. Like that should be my takeaway from his confessional, but it's literally one stray lie and the it's made to look like he is. And I think right, that, yeah, talk- that that would be a hell of a lot more interesting if this charming guy that we've actually come to kind of like enjoy his company, like had something that dark inside of him as opposed to like, you know, like this one exorcist didn't go like how I ideally would have liked. And I like some other people died around me while I was fighting a noble cause. Yeah, exactly. Like if the movie is just so afraid. It pulls every single punch that it could land with any sort of power. And yeah, I just found myself really profoundly. It's still not admittedly one of the worst horror movies I've seen. I've seen some real dreck, but it is just so uninspired. Um, I was very unenthused the entire way through. Yeah. I guess what I'll say is like, I, I probably wasn't even that down on it as I was watching it. It's, you know, it's a fun movie to see in a theater. If you have enough other people there, you know, laughing at the right times. And I think I saw it with the, I don't want to say a full theater, but at least half full, which is not bad for my dying theater. And I, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Hopefully that that hopefully uh, that theater 
uh, does not get possessed by what Amodeus, whatever the name of the demon no, was. No, well, I'll take you back. I'll, I'll, I'll take it three steps past that. It's my th- the theater is going to get torn down for some office towers. And I would not be mad if those office towers got possessed. Uh, Fair you know, enough. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> by the way, did you know who voiced the demon? No. Rolf Innocent. I did not know that. Yeah, Th- that's that's the guy that was like the um he was he was the Green Knight in the Green Knight. He right? was the he was the yeah. Green Knight. He's a uh, Dagmer Cleftjaw on Game of Thrones. Um, oh, that was the yeah that's the lieutenant guy for uh, the the guy who gets his dick cut off. Oh, okay. Remember, like he's the guy who's like kind of like oh you're nothing like you're not a real Ironborn, and then the guy who got his dick cut off, the son from John Wick. Uh, he's like, no, no, I, I'm a real oh. boy. I'm a, I'm a real Ironborn. Like he's kind of he's like his like lackey in the last <laughs> couple seasons. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I've I've blocked out a lot of the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, but I'll just say okay. like I I I had a I had a fun time watching it still because like even if like I think the just the encounters with the kid while he's possessed were maybe like. It might have been disturbing and funny, but not scary in the way I wanted them to be. Like, I still have a little bit of a low bar. I didn't even find them. I just still didn't even find it that disturbing. Like, probably not. But I guess I have a low enough bar that, like, I'm still going to typically laugh at, like, a young person being, like, vulgar. I, I don't know why. That's true, so, yeah. so like, I, I, that's just like, I, I guess I'm just like five years old at heart at times when I'm watching movies. So I'm just going to like, if, if you have a little person's, a little kid say vile shit, like you're going to get some level of chuckle from me and uh, I'm not going to like be bored. So it's like, I will say, I will say that um, the moment that got me to laugh was uh, when he says to the young priest, like, you're just fucking around with the town whores. And the guy priest goes and starts choking a little kid. Now that's funny. Um, <laughs> that is, that is funny. That got a reaction out of me. I think it's really the only time that anything got a reaction out of me. Yeah. Like I, I and I, I, I feel like I should have had, or maybe I did have a reaction. I can't remember. I guess it's it's been over a week since I saw it now. I don't remember how I reacted like when he first feels his mom up. And like, I think that's supposed to elicit a oh, strong see, reaction. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a moment that I think does sort of like that crosses a line for modern It kind audiences. of backs away from the line right away. You know, exactly. it doesn't necessarily go back to that. Also, I mean, look, I'm not saying that they should have actually had a nine-year-old boy fondling this actress breasts, but it's like, you see the hand on her breast and like, it's clearly not the little boy like there. And like, because like, he's not sharing the frame with her. And like, I think while I'm, I'm not saying that I wanted that to happen on set. What I'm saying though, is that it's clear that there's a corner being cut. And oh, again, I, see. I, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Like, you know, like as soon I'm like, yeah, that's clearly like a double, like that, that's not actually, they're not actually going to make a child do that on set. And like, it sort of takes you out of it. Like, I think that again, if you're going to start crossing the lines, then you're going to have to do, do it in a way that like keeps you within the, uh, keeps you within the kind of horror, uh, keeps you within the co- the continuity of the film. Speaking of which, uh, and I hate to do the nitpick thing, but like, so <laughs> the demon possesses the girl, right? And then it possesses the boy or vice versa. And it's doing all this stuff. And then the Pope gets sick somehow. How does the thing affect the Pope? 
Does is the Pope just like is he like Yoda? Like he just senses a disturbance in the Force? Did it have something to do with? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't have had something to do with the knowledge that he had that really about that somehow he had knowledge of what was going on over there that was hidden deep in their archives. But he was like the only one that knew. Whereas I'm sure there's well, a lot I mean, of to be fair. To be there. fair, yeah. To be fair, he is the Pope. Like he has access to that. Which is again, that's the part of the movie that I enjoyed the most. Is that the like the the Vatican operating as sort of like this? <laughs> it's sort of like the Jedi Order or something like that, where they're taking this stand against evil uh that is actually tangible and such like i don't know i I, truthfully i just want i guess the vatican city movie that's like pretty much where they're operating like the organization in john wick Mm -hmm. you know they're just they've got agents all over the world just accomplishing different tasks i'd forgotten and like i'm pretty sure i knew this two weeks ago but like franco nero who is he in john wick too he's the uh the head of the continental oh oh the oh the one in the one in rome right 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 yeah yeah. and you would have seen him also and of course Django unchained uh and uh, in a little cameo role like franco he's great by the way like if you haven't seen all of his classic italian stuff highly recommend yeah so i you know i i'm with you right there like it's I mean, I look, it would have been, like I said, a procedural version of this where you get a little more inside the Vatican and don't have to spend so much time with this boring ass family. Like, yeah, it's probably <laughs> something. But like you also at the same time, though, said like, hey, you didn't want them to go deep enough. You wanted them to go deeper on that lore. And like they go, what did you think, both visually and storytelling wise, as they go deeper and deeper into this abbey? Uh, I mean, it's ugly as shit. Like I have nothing to compare it to because I've never really been to like a. A Catholic Abbey and well, yeah. I mean, I mean, neither have neither have I, but I never got that sense while I was there. It felt like a set. It felt like oh, it didn't feel like like a set to you. Okay, yeah, it felt like just like uh, I don't know. It just didn't feel like I was in a place of great importance. It didn't feel like a space with a lot of magic and power in the walls. Like I don't know. This is a movie that probably should have been shot more like I don't know, like an Eggers film or like uh, like you know, I know, and I realize it's a cheap B movie, but like. I don't know the way that it's edited to put together the composition. I didn't realize. I, still, I didn't realize till getting ready for the podcast. It only cost eighteen million dollars. I'm not saying it looks incredible, but I don't think it's not. I don't think it's unimpressive that they made this particular movie for eighteen million dollars. I don't know. Eighteen million dollars is a fucking lot for a horror movie, man. Like that is that money is not on screen. Holy okay. shit! Like I think that. I mean, think of the underground segments in Barbarian. Mm. Like yeah, and that, that movie was made for like seven million, right? Yeah, that movie yeah. feels like a real, sp- and that was shot in like fucking like what Bulgaria or something like that. Like, hmm. uh, yeah, th- just really unimpressive in every single level. This movie. Yeah, I guess I, I never really like. I, I didn't a lot of the scenes that involved the actual demons and stuff like that. It was never like I was laughing at thinking the effects were bad or anything like that. I guess I, I don't have the I don't have the highest standard. I haven't watched them anywhere near the amount of horror films you did, so I don't have many reference points. But like I, I guess like at, at any point during that, I never thought like, oh, this really looks particularly bad. It was more just like ah, I don't know if I'm interested in this. But it seemed like you were you at least had some level of interest. Not that they you know uh, interrogated that as thoroughly as you wanted them to, but like you had some sort of interest in like at least what they were doing as they went deeper and deeper and deeper into that property and like kind of learned about the history of the of all the like inquisition fucked up catholic church shit that was going on down there yeah like if you had if the movie had just been like you know like a detective movie where like they're investigating satan like Mm -hmm. i don't know like that that at least is an angle that's something unique 
And uh, the fact that the movie instead treats it like kind of fluff to throw in at the end so that they can get their, you know, really lackluster finale where like, you know, I I will say this. There's a moment where like somebody explodes or something and like there's real blood on set and uh, well, you know, fake blood on set that I like, you know, if the movie had more of that energy, I think I would be coming on here with a lot more enthusiasm. Yeah, I guess. I would have like like a little more direct of just like fighting Satan and interrogating these two guys because I did think that the, the the younger priest I thought he was interesting even if like again like everyone else in the movie didn't do enough with them like just the two of them having a more like concise uh, direct fight and having to like reconcile with whatever internal demons they had that might have been a little more interesting instead it, it felt like they came across like like four different like skeletons in cages and i was supposed to like under care about them or something like that and then like why 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 the demon was jumping to all of them i'm like i just don't feel like following all of this you guys and exactly i think think that's why i appreciated evil dead where it's like i don't even if the evil dead movies you know are like still like asking you to like you know watch these characters read the scripture to rid themselves of some demons it's not like trying to get you to follow that many different kind of like actual stories or war or anything like that you know yeah by the way you mentioned that like uh the uh, talking about these two guys acting bouncing off of each other Mm -hmm. like i mean this movie could have been like a buddy cop thing too like you know yeah the uh, nice demon guys yeah the nice demon guys um you know like you know russell crowe's the gold grizzle it'd pretty be the same fucking dynamic too so yeah like a lot of missed opportunities here yeah, anything else about Pope's Exorcist we didn't already touch on that you wanted to get to before we moved on? Um, when the trailers were playing for this film, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, these two women walked in with like this fucking seven year old boy, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was like, are you you guys sure? I couldn't help but ask. I was like, you here for the Pope's Exorcist? And she's like, yeah, I hope that it's really scary. And I have no idea what what <laughs> they thought of it. Um, I don't I can't imagine being too afraid of this even as a child, to be honest. The kid didn't cry or anything? He didn't cry or anything like that. You know, good for him, I guess. But also, I don't know. I feel like in 2023, like he has he can watch like beheading videos on like YouTube. Like he's probably seen more fucked up stuff online. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I uh yeah, I th- I feel like if a movie of this name and subject matter can't make a seven-year-old cry, then I don't know, maybe maybe it did something wrong. Uh, but it sounds like but Daniel, I think it did many things wrong, but like, you know, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy. It seems like it's doing okay financially, if nothing else. And uh, I, I want to keep Russell Crowe working and if, and keep him being a guy that can like, you know, get something like this made and hopefully. A better oh, yeah. I should say, yeah, there is, there, there is actually a setup for a franchise at Fuck the yeah. end. And uh, you know what? I'll say this. If they make the Pope's exorcist too, I will still show up. Yeah. I will still show up. I, I would like to think I would show up, but that might depend on if they build another another movie theater closer to me by then. Um, I can't promise <laughs> I would drive. I can't promise I would drive twenty to twenty five minutes for the Pope's Exorcist too, but I would walk across the street for it. Yeah, um, there we go. Let's move on to uh, to Renfield, which is you know uh, another movie uh, that you know is, deals deals in the supernaturals in, in certain kind of ways. It is directed by Chris McKay, who uh, did Lego Batman movie, uh, screenplay by Ryan Ridley. It stars Nicholas Holt as uh, Robert Montague Renfield, who, if you ever had to read Bram Stoker's Dracula, he is the familiar of Dracula himself, who in this Wait, movie- did you is, read it? Uh, in high school, yeah. Really? Yeah, that was like kind of like required reading, actually, in like AP English or something like that. Hmm, I, I never did. I never did any of those readings, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm I'm old, so it's been- uh, I've just been You are, like, sir, you are only like a year or two older than me. 
I'm like, I'm, I'm two or three years older than you. And it's been like 15 years since I read the book. So it, I'm, <laughs> my point being, like, I, it's, it's, it's been almost half my life since I have read this book, but like, you know, whatever. Uh, but like, I, 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 it's so long so that I didn't actually understand that, like going, going in that like Renfield was actually a character for the book. I can't say that, but like, I can honestly say I have read Bram Circus Dracula, uh, but like Nicholas Holt plays Renfield, who is the familiar of Dracula played by Nicholas Cage, but except you know, this version of it, he Renfield is narrating things and we kind of get a little backstory about how he was a a, a regular dude way back in the day uh, in, in England who just happened to come across Dracula as part of a real estate deal because he was just a, a real estate lawyer looking to make good for his family, but he kind of just falls under the spell of Dracula and becomes his servant in perpetuity, uh, though he is not really content in life. So when we meet the modern day version of Renfield in New Orleans, he is attending a support group for uh, people in toxic uh, codependent relationships. But while at the same time, he is still like bearing his soul about that, or he is also kind of like, you know, nursing Dracula back to health because this version of Dracula, every time he kind of expires, is not really dead. He just takes a long time to get back to normal. So we get a lot of different fun versions of Nicolas Cage and makeup as he is getting back to that point. But, you know, Renfield wants to like go out on his own. He strikes up a little bit of an early an, an early romance with a police officer named Rebecca Quincy, played by Aquafina, who is in her own story that for some reason takes up a lot of this movie, uh, where she is uh, fighting a she is fighting a gang that that, that is uh, mostly run by uh, or at least at the street level is uh, largely run by uh, a guy named Teddy Lobo, played by Ben Schwartz, who I'm always happy to see. Uh, though, like you know, his his mom is kind of like you know. Uh, the person that really runs things, but Aquafina is trying to take them down while at the same time kind of like coming into contact with Renfield, who is bumping up against these other forces as well as trying to get out from under the uh, control of Dracula. Uh, Daniel, I, um, uh, I, I don't have a unique take on this so much as I can't help but say I kind of agree with everyone that like says this is like a great idea for a movie, but just like not great execution. Uh, what was your ultimate reaction to uh, Renfield? Oh, I fucking hated this one. Uh, I really, really, I really deplored this in every, like I, from the opening, like the first couple seconds, I'm like, okay, okay, here we go. There is the support group. And then it's a shot of Nicholas Holt. And then you hear, hi, I'm Renfield. And I'm, oh, fuck. This is going to be one of those. It's going to be one of those like Marvel-esque, like, uh, will that just happen? Like, you know, it's going to be one of those self-aware fucking meta bullshit. And it just, it was one of the most aggravating watches of the year for me. Uh, fuck so like, I, I feel like what I've heard a lot of people say, and I don't even know if I like so much was positive on some of the people that have said it was like, you know, I, they, they didn't understand why, what was going on with the Aquafina half of this movie, but they enjoyed it every time Nicolas Cage was on screen. Did you even, did you not even get anything out of the Nick Cage performance? No, not really. Like, I mm. think it's just one of those things where like when you're up, Nicolas Cage doing the Nicolas Cage thing, like, choosing to do that in like uh like in a role that calls for it like i don't know that does work like i think i love him in like um let me think what's a good example port of call new orleans where the film itself is like this sort of like very strange textured thing and he's kind of operating on its same wavelength when he's doing that thing but the movie is like a self-aware meta thing it just feels like more of like in on the joke sort of thing. and like it just it doesn't play well for me. Oftentimes voiceovers really bother me in movies. And I don't even necessarily think that was like the case here. I wasn't like annoyed. Really? At them. I wasn't that. In, I, that didn't bug me like the commenting on it as much or whatever. Like, I mean, it didn't really do a ton for me because like, I don't, if you're going to do that, then at least like, let me like kind of like get a feeling for who Renfield really is. And you can tell me at a family, but I don't actually feel like he's that tortured by that. You know, it's like this guy, like, 
you know, well, you know, I should also say, I, so I'm guessing you've seen what we do in the shadows, the movie, uh, years ago. I don't so, remember much. So I, I'm assuming you have not watched the TV show. Oh God, no. Uh, I've, 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 my, my romance with that man, Taika Waititi, that, that did not last very long. So I think there, I think there is like a familiar in the movie, but like not that prominently featured, like kind of pops in here and there, but like Harvey Guillen plays the familiar in the TV show. And it is a really great performance. And that character though, is largely motivated by like his desire to become a vampire. And he's like, I'm going to be a familiar because these people are going to turn me into a vampire at some point. So I did, I really, because it had been so long since I've read the book, I, I really don't, I, that was really my own, only point of reference for what a familiar is like to someone that like hangs around because he wants to be a vampire and serves them in that. And that's just, and whereas I didn't understand that's the character choice for that. So I, I was like, wait, like what, what exactly is this guy's deal? And it's more like, you know, vampires have some sort of like mind control power to a certain extent. And I guess he's a little driven by that. And, not really sure what's else at one point he wanted to make money and beyond that he just like kind of fell under the spell but he's like seems just like far more tortured by his relationship with dracula than like anything else in his past and that his past seems like dark as shit and i don't mind a, a per, uh, like a character like that having a dark past in an otherwise comedic film but it's like if you're gonna like put us in his head like that make him the narrator have him talk about his time with dracula like you should like make more of an effort to actually like really make this guy feel well-rounded. And I mean, I can say the same thing for the Aqua Fina character to like the hundredth degree, but like, I, I, it's just, I, I don't think I don't, it wasn't like it was actively bothering me, but it's like, I feel like I could have like just cared more about him if you wanted to like make this thing from like his point of view. And instead he was just kind of like a vessel for like a few like funny action scenes. And then this there to be tortured by Nick Cage. And it's, it, didn't, it was not sure the characters they could. Yeah, there's nothing to him. There's mm-hmm. nothing to Nicholas Holt. I think part well, of I the say, reason is a good comedic actor, actually, if you've ever watched uh, The Great on Hulu, which is a great show. But like, you know, I've been meaning to see that one. That looked funny from I, I don't have a good feel if it'd be your kind of thing. But I can just honestly say, like, he gives a really funny performance. And it's like so I know he could do it. And there might be a few moments here where he gets some laughs out of me. But like, they do not get make is he's the title character. And it's like, I just don't feel like you actually really feel what's going on in his soul as much as you should. Yeah, I think that might be part of the reason why there's a voiceover. I feel like I will say this. I think that there there is something here. I think that the um, the take on Renfield as like kind of like in a toxic relationship, I think and in like a modern sort of like understanding of a toxic relationship. I think there is something kind of interesting to that. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the action is you know, it's well designed, at least, uh, like in the sense that, like, you know, they're incorporating the environment. They're doing these sort of like, you know, wuxia sort of movements. I think the, the fight or the stunt coordinator was uh, Eric Linden, who's a guy who I've seen in other stuff. I think the fight, the, the fight trainer, at least the credited fight trainer is this guy, Dan Stiles, who I believe was the fight coordinator uh, on uh, Avengement, actually, and Legacy of Lies. So, you know, you've got pedigree in the action. They weren't department. just they weren't just like mailing it in on that stuff. Correct. Yeah, it's clear that there is a thought process there. But the thing is, every single one of those sorts. And like, I, I like the look. I'll let's say that. Well, it's it is diet John Wick, like with the neon and such. But I think in its best moments it does sort of evoke like hammer horror but i think all the problems i i personally think that this might have been something that was ruined by the studio you know i remember saying this about uh, are you a fan of lego batman yes i am that's the okay. thing i actually do quite like what's the name of the director again chris mckay chris mckay i 
genuinely really was a big fan of Lego Batman movie. And, you know, I know I said the same thing when we were talking about Cocaine Bear, where like maybe the studio interfered. The problem there is that, you know, I've seen that lady. Elizabeth Banks movie. doesn't get the same benefit. Of that. Yeah, not really. Uh, I've seen her other movie and I was not very a big I, well, a fan. I, I like Pitch Perfect too. Charlie's Angels, not so much. Yeah. So, but here, like, I think all the decisions that I had a big problem with, like, you know, like the voiceover, where it sort of just is explaining the internality of this character, I think because I think the movie was cut up in a way that, I don't know, that might have been taken away from him. Um, I think that the action certainly was like as good as it's like designed. Um, the, it's just it's just cut up way too much. It's, it's shot too dark and like, I don't know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of choices there that I think obscure what the, the good stuff that went into it. And uh, I think the voiceover is another result of that. I think that they might have cut this, this movie. is like 90 minutes. Like it, it's mm-hmm. it's over in a flash. And I think that um, the voiceover is there to sort of explain away stuff that might have been in deleted. I mean, this is just speculation on my part, but like, I mean, the fact that like, you know, Aquafina gets like a voiceover in like one or two lines. Like she gets one or two lines of voiceover and it never comes up again in the movie. That sounds to me like a decision made in post where they're like, okay, this thing is getting a little too confusing. That, Let's just, that, I don't think that would have made it better though. I don't think it would have made it better either necessarily, but I'm just trying to like mm-hmm. figure out, figure out where he might deserve the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, and, and none of that like will like fix the comedy. Cause it is. <sighs> Did you laugh at any part of this movie? A few times, but like I think uh, there there were a few smaller moments where I guess I laughed. Like I, but like not even so much from the writing necessarily. Like I I I got a kick out of like Nick Cage and some of those makeup scenes where Dracula is not back to health yet. I kind of appreciated some of the absurdity of the the makeup choices there. I laughed at like I mean it's a small joke, but I laughed at like you know, uh, Dracula being able to get into his apartment just because of a welcome mat. Like that, that was a funny joke okay. to me. I'll, I'll, I'll um, grant that. I'll grant that. That's like good. There, there was a few isolated humorous moments like that, but like a movie like this, it's sh- the, the laugh should not be that few and far between, but I, I will say I, 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 I there's no, there's no other joke as good as the welcome mat one that I can like so clearly remember off the top of my head. Like, I feel like there were a few other moments like that, that I maybe laughed, but like, the fact that I can really only remember one, I do think kind of goes to what you're saying. And I think that it's funny that you pointed out like a visual gag. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of my Which issues is still in like, the writing, but like, I don't remember like laughing at a joke. A character got off. Well, that's my point. That's my point. Like I think a lot of modern studio comedies I, and I, yeah, this is something that we can actually kind of trace back to um, what's his name. The guy who did knocked up. What was his name again? Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. I think Judd Apatow might've ruined comedy. Um, I think that his kind of improv riff heavy sort of dialogue based comedy um, that is very, (laughs) very cheap and very like just let the actors do their thing, give them room to do their thing and don't cut out anything. Don't cut out any single joke. I think that has infected a lot of modern studio comedy filmmaking in a way that has i mean like you know like what's his name the every frame of fainting guy he did a video essay years ago called mm-hmm. like you know the death of visual comedy that mm-hmm. you know gets a lot of play i think that he undersells a lot of the strengths of stuff like apatow but i think the effect is noticeable when you see something like cocaine bear or you know like it, it's just there's so much dead space between like the dialogue scenes that are meant to be funny i guess to give 
room for like the actors to rip and for the audience to laugh. And it just, it, it requires like a certain like strength in the actual jokes. And like here, they're all very, I, I mean, they're not memorable, but they're also like very obvious and lazy when you're watching them. I found myself predicting jokes predicting mm-hmm. punchlines while I was watching. Like, I mean, the, the one I think back to is like, there's like a scene where like Renfield sort of explains everything to Aquafina at his apartment. And like, they're sitting next to each other and they're like, they're riffing hard. It's really supposed to be like a laugh out loud scene. And the audience I saw it with, like they enjoyed it more than me, but oh man, like it was, it was pretty dire in there. <laughs> like, cause there's just so much space between just them two talking. There's no confidence in just, or maybe they're overconfident in the ability for these sort of hack lines to sort of get a reaction. Uh, And when you're not in like a packed audience that has, you know, that is primed for this thing, like when it requires you to actually sell something like, ooh. In a vacuum, I think I enjoyed the Nick Cage performance. But I think, again, it's the fact that I don't remember like anything he said that particularly tickled me. That 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 in of itself is somewhat of an somewhat of an indictment. Same way, I actually feel the same way about about Ben Schwartz, who I'm always happy to see pop up and stuff. I I just I I typically enjoy him, and I didn't I wasn't mad when he was there, but I don't remember anything like super funny he said. I I feel like I remember a few funny things he did, a few funny reactions, and I I wasn't like upset when that guy was on screen. As extraneous as all of that stuff was to the rest of the plot, there were a few moments where like he reacted to things or like when he was put in like a position that like, I was like, I, I remember laughing, but again, I don't remember like laughing because of something he said, you know, I just, uh, I, I was fine with him. It's just like, it wasn't like the movie was doing a ton for me. And, and I, and I, but like when I left the movie with my friends, I think we were like, Oh, that was fine. You know, it's like, I think that the gore and some of the isolated laughs got it through where like, I didn't hate the movie as much as you did. I like some of the action and some of the gore just kind of like, you know, it was like, Oh, that, that, that got an Oh shit, an Oh shit for me. And I was like, all right, that's fine. But like, I don't know. I did it. I just felt like the whole thing could have been a little bit more, even if uh, it could have been a lot more though. I didn't like necessarily hate my time there. Like you did. I just, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, I, we, we didn't even talk too much about the Aquafina stuff. That's honestly where my bigger gripes were, but yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Hmm. I'm not actually necessarily against uh, like the idea of, you know, there's like this criminal plot that like sort of like ends up being the main threat. I don't know. Like I'm not necessarily against that in conception, but um, my issue is more that I don't know, like all the scenes with Aquafina suck. (laughs) Like, and I mean like in the sense that like just rudimentary basic levels of film craft, like you'll get like a scene where like, Aquafina goes to take evidence to like her. Okay, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, okay, yeah, the plot itself is actually way too fucking convoluted. She is taking well, evidence. Every, everyone is corrupt around her in the police force, so she has to go to her sister's an FBI agent. They, um, their dad was killed by this criminal uh, organization, and she goes with a pen that had been used by Renfield to kill a guy. And uh, she's like, I think <laughs> it's the funniest scene in the world. It's probably the funniest scene in the movie for the wrong reasons, because she says, you're the only one I can trust with this. I found this on the scene of like that murder. And the cop la- and the FBI agent sister is like, so you found this on the scene with the murder. That means that it might be connected. And Aquafina is like, yes, I think that this might be connected. <laughs> and it's just the repeating stuff back to each other. And it's not the only scene where this happens, but it's so like, 
feels like it's like all right keep keep it moving we need we need to we need this to hit 90 minutes come on guys it is <laughs> it's it's so awkward and like it's it's edited like you know like uh it's just shot reverse shot it's just so lazy um again none of these spaces feel like spaces they all feel like like sets in like the worst way possible um it just it's just the it's just really lazy film craft. I know. I just feel like you spend a lot of time with like Aquafina and her sister. You learn about their dad, but it's like for the amount of time the movie devotes to them, it feels like you should feel something more when it's like they have this like I it seems like they want you to care about some big emotional payoff with them at the end. And I don't even really remember what I was supposed to learn about her, but like it felt like the movie thought I was supposed to take something from that, and I just took nothing from it. I it was just, it was it, it was just time very poorly spent. Yeah. And that could have been just like totally like you could just had that be that that like they didn't do enough with that being a potential romantic subplot, which it seems like they wanted to hint at, but they really never went far enough down that road to make it worth having that be an actress that like we should care about. That could have just been there could have been some cop that was related to some kind of like a criminal conspiracy thing that was adjacent to whatever Renfield had going on. It didn't have to be like this whole thing where this woman was kind of like motivating him to get his life together. Like Dracula is enough motivation for him and getting out from under Dracula's thumb should be enough motivation. You don't need to have this whole cop be a character too. And you, you didn't need to hire someone as well-known as Aquafina to do that. That could have just been like a, a smaller part for a lesser known actress. And then it's not as distracting when that's not a well-developed character, but because it's Aquafina, like if I feel like we're supposed to care and we don't. So. You know, all very excellent points, but we do have to hit 90 minutes. So, yep, yeah, we're going to just spend a lot of time on that shit. Well, no, but like you can get to 90 minutes in I know, other yeah, ways. I know. I, I, like I, you, you could have like. Clear, agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what Aquafina's doing, man. Like, I mean, I think she's proven herself in both com- com- comedy and drama. And it's like, you know, like, I mean, it, it, the movie was probably better for it. You know, she was originally going to be like, you know, the Stephanie Shue part and everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, I, th- I, I think she might have had that. Like, if you look at her, like, if you compare her Wikipedia to um, that of uh, Shang-Chi and everything ever all at once, it's like she may or may not have had to have like dropped out of everything ever all at once to be in that, that part in Shang-Chi, which I, I actually like Shang-Chi a lot I more think, than you. But I, I think, think that's, that's actually I think that's actually what happened. I mean, like Michelle Yeoh is in both, but like Aquafina is in a lot more of Shang-Chi than Michelle Yeoh. And like, I think she also had time, a TV like, show at the time, right? I, I, yeah, she was like doing her own TV show, which I don't think is still on the air but it got like two seasons on comedy central but it's like man like wouldn't you like if you're her now like wouldn't you much rather just like got an oscar nomination not that like <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe she's not as good in that part as stephanie shu but like she has proven herself as a dramatic actor like i think the farewell is very good yeah the I don't farewell know if you saw, is excellent i don't know if you saw swan song like uh, she has more of a supporting no, part she's like really good though in some scenes she has with marshall Ali in that like, she can do comedy she can do drama and instead it's like the last three things i've seen her in are like shang chi like three episodes of her show and this it's very very strange yeah. Um, and oh, besides Swan Song, and Swan Song was like a good reminder of like she can do stuff, and it's like ugh, I don't know, but like it, it just felt like a very wasted part of this movie that could have been devoted to more interesting stuff. Because again, like I think we both like the filmmaker and don't aren't against this idea in theory, but something went wrong, you know. So um, yeah, any other thoughts on Renfield, Daniel? I will say that you had mentioned the gore, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I should give credit where it's due there. Also, like mm-hmm. I actually do appreciate that they not only have like you know lots of practical gore, but um, even the CG stuff. I think that they wisely instead of making it try to mimic like what real blood and guts and such look like uh they just went over exaggerated it you know like instead mm-hmm. like there's just mountains of like cg blood like a geyser mm-hmm. of it and like if you're gonna 
go that route. I think that's the way to do it and incorporating it actually into the action. Like there's like a scene where like Renfield like tears a man's arms off like while he's fighting him and uses the arm as a weapon. And, you know, again, the action is like really cut up. And there's one where he uses like a serving tray as a weapon too. Like they just cut someone's arms off and that was, that was fun, I guess. Yeah. Like all like, and like, I think that shows like a real vision that is again, completely undermined. Also, um, there's like a moment where like, uh, Dracula goes and like, kills every single person at like the uh spoiler alert um that kills every single person at the um self-help meetings that Mm -hmm. renfield's been going to and that's a moment where i was actually like oh shit like i genuinely for a moment i was like okay so the movie actually did was willing to go there but renfield gets over it in like five minutes renfield gets over it in five minutes and then brings everybody back to life at the end of the movie (laughs) i'm like what the like he no saved bravery. Dracula's blood, obviously. Yeah, no bravery whatsoever. No commitment to like what this is supposed to be. I, I just really frustrating moment for me because I was uh, gonna give this like bump it up like a half star more maybe, <laughs> and then they did that and I was like, all right, well screw you. All right, uh, yeah. So Daniel gives Renfield a thumbs down. I'm not as strong of a thumbs down, but I'm still kind of disappointed. But you know, again, I feel like I feel like because I have been so busy the last couple year and a half with work, I haven't made it to the movies as much to see like disappointing to middling movies. So you know, it's felt like a return to form for the rewind. <laughs> that like I actually saw something that I was like actually. I don't even, I, not that I was like as like harsh on these movies as even you were, but like, you know, I feel like I've just had to be more selective with my time, even though I think watching old stuff was what kind of like got the ax for me in the last year when I got really busy at work. I still saw just about as many new releases as I normally do, but like maybe the podcast didn't get as much of me like, you know, actually critiquing stuff. So for episode 300, it's nice that we got to like, you know, maybe talk about a couple of things that we didn't just both love, you know, so I'm- uh, It's like a, I, it's like I, a warm okay. hug watching a bad movie. Yeah, I, I mean, especially because like, I'm not, I'm just, it, it, this might get fewer and far between, like just by nature of like where I live and the fact that again, as I keep complaining about, my theater's closing down. It's like, you know, it's 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 easy to justify. It's like, you know, I, I mean what you have five minutes from your regal, right? Uh yeah. and 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 I I can walk across the street to my uh soon to be dead AMC. And it's like, you know, you can just go watch a bad movie just to do it when you live that close. But like if you have to drive 20 to 25 minutes, like it's a that's 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 a bigger commitment, you know. You know, I, I agree, and yet I know for a fact that I regularly do that. Well, I mean, I, oh, okay. I didn't know you regularly did. I thought like oh, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I I I will go across town knowing that I will hate a movie. Oh, I see. I knew you sometimes like drive to other Orlando theaters, but I thought it was more like, didn't you go to, didn't you drive like to somewhere that was showing Bo's Afraid in IMAX or something like that? Or- yeah, I went to Point, which is uh, like on I Drive, which, yeah, that's an annoying trip. Um, I was maybe a minute or two late to work because of it. But, um, but, 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 but like you, okay, I, I guess I, I guess I didn't, well, I should have realized that that was an example of you doing that because you don't typically like Ari Aster's movies. So you were willing to do that just for the experience. But like, yeah, but I, I'll watch, I just, I'll watch, I'll go and I'll travel for like a, an Indian movie that I'm like, oh, this one's not going to be very good, is it? Um, I, 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 it I just that's don't three really- hours long. I just don't really have the time for that, but like, so whatever. I'm glad we kind of squeezed another couple of mediocre movies in, though. Actually, I did see both of these at my theater, so I'm glad I got another couple in there beforehand. I, I, I basically my last couple of movies there might just be 
it might just be Evil Dead Rise and uh, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, again. Because what else is coming out next weekend as of our recording of this besides Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret? Guardians is weekend after next, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Sisu is coming out. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm getting that or not. But like, yeah. So I only have so many more movies to see there. At the time people are listening to this, well, actually, I, we're, I think we're going to get, we'll, we'll hopefully get this out this week. But like, not that anyone else cares about my uh, my movie theater, but like, <laughs> you know, I don't have that many left there. So uh, it's sad. Uh, Daniel, before we get out of here, uh, any anything else you've been watching recently you want to recommend whether it be just something unrelated or something that you know is a little more uh in the vein of the things we just talked about but actually good you know i've been kind of depressed lately i haven't been watching a lot of movies it's been that kind of depression where you're just like not even engaging with the stuff that you like um i did see bo is afraid like you said it was the first ari aster movie that i actually liked um in fact loved it's my number two of the year so far i think at at, at this rate daniel is going to love barry jenkins lion king he's look all of a sudden a24 fanboy he's liking all these things directors he's always hated do and you know genuinely yo genuinely though i mean like david lowry i'm now kind of looking forward to the wendy and uh, peter pan movie coming out he's got coming out like it's it's topsy turvy like i i don't have any directors that i really hate anymore uh other than barry Ooh, is the wendy um, movie coming out at the end of may because yeah it comes I, out I, yeah I, but it's a it's a it's a disney plus release oh what really shit i was gonna i'm um, because i'm gonna be in los angeles at the end of may i would have like tried to have made our friend ben you know what go see in, that in which me. case in which case if you're gonna if it's a disney plus release and you're gonna be in la it's probably gonna be playing at the el capitan which is i think the disney owned theater huh Okay. It will probably play there. Like Disney Plus releases play at the Disney owned theater. I mean, like it would just be funny to like uh, somehow make Ben Lubin go see that in theaters. Oh, it would be he's, hilarious. He's, he's, he's done the podcast for two uh, David Lowry movies. And I've kind of like, I, I, he hasn't committed to doing that. But like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see. No, wait, it says April 28th is the release date. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next week. Next weekend. Oh, no. I was saying end of May. I don't, I, I, so I doubt oh, it was still playing okay, at the end okay. of May. So, yeah. Well, fair I mean, enough. Uh, maybe not. He's not going to watch that. So, because he doesn't watch movies <laughs> that, if they're not in the theater. So, that will be, that will be, that will probably be Joe and Elijah since Elijah's kind of also the Lowry guy. Uh, well, but like, yeah, ben, ben will, Ben will escape that because I respect his, uh, I respect his uh, commitment to not seeing movies outside of the movie theater. But, uh, well, um, there's, I got a couple more. Well, don't don't take any of mine. So don't go unless they're you know. So they they probably will not be. Okay. okay. Um, I saw uh, how to blow up a oh, pipeline. Come on, I just said oh. don't take any of mine. God I didn't it. realize that was going to be one of yours. I saw um, it yesterday. Oh, I was gonna, it I was just... Fucking rules. I'll say that okay. too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's all I was going to say. I was. I can let you go on more on that. Next, no, next, next. Well, we will probably be talking about it next week because my friend, uh, my friend Hannah is going to join for that. And are oh, you really? there? God, are, are 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 you both that? And are you there? Goddess be Margaret, which might be my two favorite of the year so far. So those are my recommendations. Go support those movies, people. The the last thing I saw that I really was grabbed by that I really, really loved besides Bo is uh, Fist of the North Star. Familiar with it? No. Yeah. In 1986 anime film. Uh, I think it's based on uh, it was actually kind of like based on a TV show, which was based on the manga. Uh, very, very highly influential. This is sort of just like the start of shonen anime, um, like oh, Dragon Ball Z, Yu Yu Hakusho, Inuyasha, all that stuff from you know the '90s, 2000s that we all grew up with here in the West. Like mm-hmm. it's of the North Star is the originator. Um, this it's a post-apocalyptic world where this uh, martial artist who has mastered this kind of like style that uses like pressure points and such, like he gets killed, his girl gets taken and, but uh, he comes back for revenge. Like he survives, comes back for revenge and he navigates this wasteland. And it is the, I mean, everyone describes it as like the manliest anime that has ever been made. It's all muscly dudes shouting and 
buildings getting blown up and he's got his martial art allows him to pretty much blow people up. Um, Hmm. One of the most violent animated films I've ever seen. Um, And it just, it managed to, in spite of being like, you know, like very Dragon Ball Z esque sort of um, it actually has a certain like air of desperation and emptiness that gives this a sort of weight that I think the, uh, the, stuff that has been influenced by it sort of lacks Hmm. and it also has a soul it has like a certain beauty to it a hope for the future that i found actually very moving i highly highly recommend fist of the north star it's kind of been the thing that's been on my mind in the weeks since i saw it and it's really put me on an anime kick i'm probably going to be watching you're going to see me talking about a bunch of anime films in the future all right cool i'm not going to elaborate too much on what i said before i'll just say like if you hear the title how to blow up a pipeline you're like "Ah, i'm not political enough for that movie you don't need to be it works as a heist movie too it's really well done uh and are you there goddess me margaret uh a, a movie that i am very passionate about getting people to see but just because like if it inexplicably took there six and a half years for there to be another Kelly Fremont Craig movie after the edge of 17, a movie, which I is dear near and dear to me. And, uh, are you there? Mar- are you there? God is me. Margaret is just really, really, really well done for a 32 year old guy to like actually be that into like a movie about a 12 year old girl that just shows you like it's doing something right. And I want people to support her because edge of 17 didn't lose money, but it did not do the kind of business it should have. And are you there? Regard- are, are you there? God is me. Margaret had like, I mean, a $30 million budget, I think. So I'm like, I'm crossing my fingers that, cause I mean, that was a very big book for a certain group of people in a certain point in time. And yeah, I've never, Blue, I've never read it. I mean, like, cause I guess, I mean, it came out in 1970, but like, it's a very famous book and Judy Bloom is famously really, very, very, very stingy about like letting her stuff be adapted. I don't know if anything had, but like, particularly that one, she was very, very, very like, uh, protective of but like james l brooks who produced edge of 17 for kelly freeman craig like she and kelly he and kelly freeman craig like flew to key west because judy boom just like lives in key west now and just hangs out there and like convinced them convince her to let them adapt it and she did and like very few of her things ever ever been adapted if any i'm not sure off the top of my head but like none of them have ever gotten like this kind of big screen treatment so uh i just i just want kelly freeman craig i want good things for her and i hope people see it because it is it was delightful i smiled the entire way through even though as you'll hear me probably talk about it being that podcast, like, you know, I don't te- technically love being in situ. I don't typically love humorous humor that is derived from uncomfortable situations. And oh yeah. Movie, I hate it. And it is a movie about like a girl that it's like, you know, going through puberty and middle school things. And I smiled the whole time that just shows you how high the level of execution is. And that is all I will say about it. And I hope people go see it. Um, me. Yeah. So if you, uh, but yeah, before we get out of here, uh, you can find Daniel on Letterbox at Felonious Funk. You can find me there at Josh Jernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. The podcast is on Twitter at RewindMoviePod. Podcast email is at RewindMoviePod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, I even though I really don't have the time to do it, we have a bunch of stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. As I noted before, I'm going to have an episode on both uh, that, that at the same time has both uh, are you there? God is me, Margaret and how to blow up a pipeline in the same episode, which are my favorite kinds of episodes. Uh, Cause uh, you know, just those movies beautiful double like bill. Show. Exactly. Uh, and then, uh, and, and then probably have one on uh, evil dead rise with uh, Daniel and our friend gauge and one on Bo is afraid with our friend Elijah and Andrea. So uh, stay tuned for all of those coming in some order. Uh, thanks to everyone for sticking with us through 300 episodes. Thanks to Daniel for I've never done the math, but I'm sure he's been the most frequent guest. So thank you. Thank you to him for making so many of those 300 episodes happen. And, uh, we'll see you next time.